Thanks for tuning into the Excel Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with legal marketing and business development expert, Jay Harrington, about how to build a productivity habit that will help you consistently and successfully develop valuable client relationships and grow a profitable legal practice. Jay is a business coach and consultant to lawyers and law firms, a former practicing lawyer, and a prolific author. His books include One of a Kind, A Proven Path to a Profitable Legal Practice, The Essential Associate, Step Up, Stand Out, and Rise to the Top as a Young Lawyer, and his most recent, The Productivity Pivot, Build a Profitable Legal Practice by Selling Yourself One Hour Every Day. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Jay. Thanks, Shelley. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. You have a real knack for capturing the essence of your books and their titles and truly making every word count. And the productivity pivot is no exception. I'm just wondering, what is the significance of the word pivot? Well, in this case, this book, as we'll, I'm sure we'll probably get into in greater detail, is is about productivity, but it's about productivity for a specific purpose, and that is as it, as it relates to business development for lawyers. So the word pivot in this case is meant beyond the alliteration, which I, I love mm-hmm. alliteration, but beyond that, uh, the pivot is basically the idea that I think it's important for lawyers to pivot from a belief that business development is something that you merely fit in when you have time to something that you need to make as your most important priority, um, that it's the, it's the very thing that's going to allow you to have a profitable, successful, and rewarding career. And, and I think, you know, through my experience coaching lawyers and, and working with them and being a lawyer myself, frankly, um, you know, we oftentimes have a belief and an understanding that our highest value is in billing lots of hours for clients. And of course, that's important. But we also have another function that we oftentimes overlook, which is developing a robust legal legal practice. And so, you know, from a productivity standpoint, if we think about productivity as how to be effective and not merely efficient, if you really want to be effective, you know, pivoting from that belief uh, about business development as something that's more of an afterthought to something that's a critical priority, I think is important. And that's why I, I use that word in the title. Mm-hmm. Very effective. And I love the alliteration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what inspired you then to write the productivity pivot? Well, it's it really stems from the work I do as a as a business coach with with other other lawyers, and you know, with, when you go through a coaching process, when I'm working with a client, it sort of starts with this process of having them cast a vision for what they want out of their career, uh, you know, both professionally and and personally, and then setting some goals that align with that vision, and then kind of reverse engineering those goals into an actionable plan that they are going to do to execute upon those goals and upon that vision. Um, And that's where, and at at that point, you know, lawyers are very enthusiastic about that process. They tend to enjoy it. It's they're energized by it. And then you get to the point where you've got to shift from planning to action. And then inevitably you'll hear things like, well, I, I simply don't have the time to, to, 
do all that's required to put this plan into action. And so that I kept running into that issue uh, over and over and, and a sufficient number of times where I, I really, you know, started trying to think about like, well, what's the best way, you know, I could just tell people, well, you just got to, you just got to work harder or you need to make the time or whatever the case might be. Uh, but I wanted to kind of frame the issue in a way that might have more resonance with my clients. And so as I, as I often do, you know, it's really the way I advise my clients as well when it comes to things like content marketing, where, you know, if you're a lawyer and, and your clients keep asking you the same questions over and over or keep presenting the same problems to you over and over, that's probably something you should think uh, think about for purposes of writing some thought leadership articles. Because, you know, if, if one person's asking a question, others probably have the same question. And so, so you should write about those things. So I, I, you know, I don't typically know what I think about an issue until I write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so given the fact that, you know, this seemed to be a re- recurring problem, the I don't have enough time to do business development problem, um, I decided to write about it. In my case, you know, what maybe started as an article turned into a book, but that's what really inspired me was this, this issue that just kept arising over and over. And um, it led to, you know, it led to really going down this rabbit hole thinking, how can I help people overcome this issue where, you know, it's unique to lawyers in particular, where well, it's really unique to professional services like consulting, uh, the legal profession, where the product, you know, the lawyer, the lawyer's time is also responsible for selling the product, um, which mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously, if you think about other businesses, that's not the case. Um, so there's a unique challenge there. And, and really, the book was meant to address that challenge. Okay, terrific. Well, very comprehensive, and it's uh, so practical. And I just love the way you set out things in step-by-step format and checklists and you really uh, are true to the advice that you provide in the book. Uh, I'm wondering with all of the productivity resources out there, what's different about your approach and particularly to business development? Yeah, well, I think, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I adhere to the idea that there are no new ideas in a sense. And I think that's really what a book and good content is all about. It's, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't be so bold to say that I invented an original approach to productivity. Um, but what I did try to do is to really contextualize the issue for, for lawyers and the real world experience that they have and the, that real world challenge that I described where they're both the product and the person responsible for selling the product. So it's, it's very contextualized for, for lawyers. It's not just a book about productivity hacks and tips that's of general relevance. The entire book is shaped and this, you know, through the stories I tell, through my own experience as a practicing lawyer, through other experts I, I spoke to, um, and the ideas I incorporate it's, it's building a comprehensive system that takes into account the day-to-day activity of a lawyer where, you know, you have administrative responsibilities, you have responsibilities to your clients to, do, to produce legal work product, and you also have to market and, and develop new business. And so from things like setting effective goals to carving out the time necessary to focus on professional and business development to how to think about building an effective to-do list um, for a lawyer when, again, you're taking into, into account those various responsibilities that you have. Um, I think everything is run through that filter of contextualization 
for a lawyer with a clear understanding of what a lawyer's day is like. And something that lawyers in private practice or lawyers in law firms will definitely respond to. Um, so relevant. And as you say, a lot of the resources out there are so general. And oftentimes lawyers are left with wondering how that can apply to them, even if they have the desire and the motivation. So uh, excellent. Excellent. I love that context. Um, and I'm wondering too, why you talk about um, the importance to prioritize the importance of prioritizing business development, and that theme runs through the book. I'm wondering why why should lawyers prioritize business development? Well, I think it it goes back to this, this fundamental issue, which is that I think it's very hard for anyone to feel or, in fact, be productive with with anything. And if we think about productivity, it means basically. How are, you know, to me, I, I think of productivity as how are you, you know, making an impact? How are you advancing your most important priorities? Not merely how many boxes can you check off your to-do list, but are you doing the things that are in fact important and of high value? And so if we think about it in those terms, what I think helps to uh, make someone more productive is attaching their productivity to some higher purpose. And what I mean by higher purpose in this, in this context is what, what are you really optimizing for in your legal career? I think many lawyers, you know, as, and I write about this in the book and, and everyone's familiar with it. There's, you know, what I'll call an unhappiness epidemic in the industry. You know, you see rates of depression, rates of alcoholism, rates of, you know, just stress and anxiety spiking in the profession. And, um, and, and then on the, you know, on the flip side of that, there's countervailing research that talks about, well, what, it, what actually makes people happy and satisfied at work? And some of the things that people presume are the, the factors that lead to success and happiness and satisfaction, things like more money, uh, more status, more power, it turns out those things don't actually have all that much impact on, on someone's happiness. They're not irrelevant, but they're not the leading factors. What is, and, and there's multiple studies that have, have found this, and I cite them in the book, is this idea of autonomy, a feeling that you're in control over your circumstances. And so as a lawyer, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of a private practice lawyer, and it's easy to do because I used to be one, uh, you know, the, this idea of autonomy, I think, is best um, attacked by trying to gain uh, or trying to develop a book of business. So it's really, to me, the only way to have more autonomy, more control, more a feeling of independence within a law firm, if you develop a book of business for yourself, if you have your own clients. Not to say that that's not challenging in of itself, you know, obviously managing a client relationship and, and producing great work product is, is stressful. But if you layer on top of that, um, being feeling dependent upon colleagues within your firm to feed you work, well, then that that gets even worse. That's that's sort of a, a multiplier effect on on you know you, uh, on your stress levels because you're now responsible to your clients and your colleagues, and and so I think that gaining autonomy is the reason why. Uh, that people should be really aiming for if they think about it. You know, if you're, all you're trying to do is, you know, maybe bump up your bonus a little bit at the end of the year, that's not all that motivating. Um, you want to be more intrinsically motivated where you have some desire. And in this case, I think it should be a desire for more autonomy 
And if you have that intrinsic motivation, as, as opposed to extrinsic motiva- motivators like money, then you'll be, tend to be more productive and you'll, you'll be more successful, I think, in developing business because you'll see you know, the value of, of and, and the, the promise of more autonomy down the road. So I think that's why more time should be devoted to business development. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I think that, that that issue of autonomy is so important. Yeah, makes such good sense. And it's not discussed very often, certainly not within the context of uh, lawyers and marketing or developing business. Uh, so I'm wondering why, if this is so important, um, why don't lawyers prioritize business development? Well, <laughs> um, there quite a few reasons, I think. I mean, one, it's hard. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think like anything, it's... Uh, it's it's not an easy thing to do, and so you know many of us tend to shy away from things that that are are difficult. Uh, you know, it's easier to if you think about you know all the tasks you have to perform on a particular day. You know, it's easier to put those easier to accomplish tasks, ones that uh, that maybe uh, you know you feel like you have a good handle on, ahead of something like reaching out to a client and you know essentially making yourself vulnerable to things like rejection. So that's one. Two, I think it's also an issue of the one reason why it's hard is because I don't think lawyers are, are trained all that well on, on what it takes to develop business. So there's a there's certainly an education and, and knowledge issue, but I don't, think that's, I don't think that's the main factor because there's tons of information out there about how to go about you know, developing business and there's a multitude of ways to do that. Um, so I think it's more this issue of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. Uh, nobody, you know, no one relishes the idea of, of rejection. And if you're, you know, anyone who's tried to do business development in the past understands that it involves lots more rejection than it does acceptance or, or you know, uh, success. And so you've got you've to kind of get over that fact. And, and also, I think that, you know, we have a tendency as, as, as human beings, frankly, uh, and certainly as lawyers, to sometimes optimize for short-term rewards over long-term ones. Mm-hmm. So if we get back to this striking the balance between billable hours and business development, if you're spending a lot of time on business development, you're, you're out of necessity cutting into the number of hours you can bill. And the way that the incentives are set up in most law firms, for, especially for, say, an associate in a law firm, your compensation is going to be impacted negatively if you're not billing as many hours as you might otherwise have. Um, however, you know, if you have a more long-term perspective, which I think you should, you'll understand that, again, over the long term, your, you know, your value to the firm, uh, your potential compensation, your advancement within the firm, all of those things are going to be much more positively impacted if you are seen as someone who can develop and, in fact, are developing a significant book of business as opposed to, you know, incrementally increasing your billable hours. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, with clients of your own, you can keep not only yourself, but others in your firm busy. And, you know, again, the, 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 the benefit of that to the firm and to yourself is, you know, it's a, just, just a multiple of um, value beyond your value of billing more hours associated with that. So I think that's, you know, that's 
but but because of that short-term thinking, sort of circling back to the original point, um, we don't often think that way, and and that's that can be a big mistake because the problem is, you know business development is a long-term endeavor. It requires a lot of investment of time. And, you know, it has a lot of compounding results if you do it, if you start the process early enough. But those results take some time to come to fruition and, and, and be realized. So, you know, it's this, it's this tension between short-term and long-term rewards. And if you're not forward-thinking enough about it, you'll oftentimes opt for the short-term rewards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you, you mentioned that the people sort of know the types of things that they should be doing. Um, I'm just wondering, maybe you can sort of run us through some of those. What are some effective ways to generate business? And I imagine that they're you know, different at the different stages of someone's career. Yeah, uh, there there are. Um, I mean, I like to think of business development. I, I you know, th- this is you have to you have to generalize to make it relevant. Everyone's circumstances are a bit different, but I, I generally like to think of of business development over the course of one's career as three phases. And the early phase, when someone's early in their career, um, this is when you know you're not. You know, it, and, and this is obviously depend when I talk about context and circumstances, someone who's at a very big firm, it's going to be different than someone who's at a small firm. The expectations of them might be different. But right. again, generally speaking, the first phase involves, you know, you're, you're, you should be kind of getting a good base of competence underneath you. The marketplace of potential clients that might look to you as someone who they could hire they're, they're probably part of your friends and family network at that point. You could hustle your way to some business as a young lawyer, just sort of tapping your immediate network. But it's tough to go far beyond that because the marketplace isn't seeing you as an expert yet. And, and you're probably not. You're just getting your feet underneath you to a certain extent. You're, you're developing that expertise, but you're not there yet. So there are opportunities there to actually develop business. But I think more importantly is developing the skills and laying the groundwork for the business development that's to come. And so that would be things like thinking about, you know, areas where you can establish a, a, a a bit of niche expertise, um, starting to do things like writing, thought leadership content, starting to build a body of work in the digital marketplace of ideas is very important because that's the, that's the type of thing that's going to allow you to be seen and visible, start to build some trust and develop, develop an audience that, of people who are going to be aware of you um, as you continue to progress in your career. And then you should all, also be focused on building out your network to a great extent. So you definitely want to be a prolific network worker to the extent that's that's possible these days, certainly in digital environments um, right now when in-person is not really possible, but yeah. developing that network of people, and, and it doesn't need to be people who can be clients today, but people who can grow with you into uh, positions of responsibility, who one day when you're also ready to really have that high level of expertise and, and capability to, to, to manage a client relationship, they're in a position to hire you. Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of phase one. Then you're going to progress into phase two, which this is where you start to be perceived as an expert. Um, if, you're, if you're being thoughtful about your business development approach, you're, you're, you should be thinking about how do I position myself for success in the marketplace? And that oftentimes means narrowing your focus. So you don't want to necessarily be seen as a generalist. And to give some context here, this is probably someone who's in their maybe fifth through 10th year of the practice of law, you should be at that point really starting to narrow your focus into, you know, maybe an industry vertical, 
um, certainly a, a maybe a, in, a single practice. Um, if you can find some intersection between those two things, an industry vertical and a and a, and a single practice, you you probably can uh, position yourself well for the marketplace. Because what what the marketplace is looking for at that point is is a high level of expertise, mm-hmm. and having and positioning yourself that way is is what's going to allow you to have an effective marketing and business development approach. So if you're if you're a generalist lawyer with, you know, real no, really, you're trying to be all things to all people, it's going to be very hard for you to gain traction in business development. Whereas if you have a very narrow focus, that's where you can essentially, like, let's say you identify a single industry you want to focus your business development on, then you can really identify who your ideal client is. And you can develop a marketing plan that's very specific. So you'll know where that ideal client goes for information, what industry associations they might be members of, what conferences they attend, um, who they associate with, who they look to for information. All of these things um, allow you to then build a plan for yourself where you inject yourself into that ecosystem and you can become a trusted advisor within it as opposed to just someone who's bouncing from you know cl- potential client to potential client, but never really developing those deep relationships that allow you to actually develop business within that space. And then you know, from there, you know, sort of the, the third level or third phase is when you, you, you're much further along in your career and you're really seen as, you know, people start to see you as that true trusted advisor where, you know, you're starting to maybe jump from your singular, you know, industry focus to adjacent industries. You're really expanding your practice. You're, you're expanding the geographic scope of your practice. You're nationalizing your practice because you're seen as a true thought leader, a true expert. People, you know, the inbound opportunities are coming in, the opportunities you get are in line with your expertise. Um, someone who's in this phase has probably published a tremendous amount of content, has developed a really robust network, um, is cross-selling effectively within their firm. They're essentially creating scale in their practice because they've developed systems and processes for how they deliver client work, how they market, um, so, so th- these phases, I think, are a way to think about, you know, how to go about developing business. But really, it really all comes back to how do you position yourself in front of your ideal client market as an expert, as a thought leader, and, and you know, the, there's various marketing and business development activities related to that are, are almost endless. You could start a podcast, Shelley. Um, <laughs> you you write articles. Um, you you do public speaking, but. You're, you're active and you're focused on a particular market so that they're seeing you again as, you know, the resource, the go-to person. You, you've essentially, by positioning yourself that way, you're able to eliminate or at least reduce the competition. Um, and that's sort of the object, objective of positioning yourself effectively. Mm-hmm. Wow, super helpful. Lots of great information there, Jay. And I'm just wondering, one thing you didn't uh, touch on was moving to a new law firm. Like how... How, what are some of the challenges that someone might experience on the business development side? Yeah, well, there, there are some real challenges there. I mean, when you move to a new law firm, um, you know, one thing that you're, you're I mean, maybe not giving up, but you certainly uh, need, to, need to reestablish are those internal relationships that lead to new business. Um, so not only are you, you know, is a, is a lawyer who, has a robust practice probably cross-selling their own clients to other lawyers in their firm, but are, are 
realizing opportunities uh, for new business from other lawyers and their firms cross-selling to them and bringing them in and, and mm-hmm. referring them work. Um, I know, you know, I started my career at a, a very large firm, Skadden Arps, and the, you know, the institutional client base provided lots of opportunities for lawyers in different practice areas to support one another and bring them into deals and, and, and litigation and corporate restructurings. And, and that, you know, is, is very, was very valuable for so many lawyers. That was maybe from, in many cases, the bulk of the work they were doing. And when you, when you flip to a new law firm, you have to kind of start that process over again to, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Ideally, um, you know, you're bringing your external client base with you, but you're going to have a lot of work to do to, to reestablish those relationships internally. So I think that's one of the, one of the challenges. Another would be, you know, obviously you, you're dealing with a whole new set of potential conflicts um, based on, you know, the, the, the client you, you're hoping to bring over uh, may be conflicted based on the work that the new firm is doing. And you never know, you know, sometimes everyone thinks the grass might be greener on the other side, as the old cliche goes, but um, the things that you overlooked at your prior firm, such as the effectiveness of some of the administrative departments in your firm, such as the marketing and business development departments, um, may not be as robust and effective at, at, as they are at the, the new firm you go to. And, and perhaps you overlooked how important that was and how some of those um, supporting roles were to your ability to develop new business. So I would, you know, think, think carefully about some of these issues. Cause again, sometimes people jump because, you know, they might be uh, induced by, you know, a, a large bonus or some other financial component, but, but there's challenges. And, you know, again, if we're long-term thinkers um, you know, maybe that isn't the smartest move, even from a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in terms, I'm just thinking of, a sort of mid-level associate moving firms, someone who has been in a firm where they weren't required to generate business. The clients trickled down to them and uh, they've now gone on to moved over to another firm. And because of this lawyer's level, the expectation is, yes, you need to be generating new business. Um, (laughs) What advice would you provide that lawyer? Well, uh, I mean, I can I can speak to that because I I did have that experience in my own career, um, you know, leaving a, a, a large firm, and and in my case, the expectation wasn't wasn't uh, generated by someone else. I I left to start my own firm, and I, I did it at a time when I didn't have kids. Um, I was married, but uh, you know, the the level of responsibility you feel once you have start a family is, is wholly different. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my wife and I could get by, uh, but I left, I left, you know, a good job at a, at a good law firm and to start my own. And I really had very little uh, at the time, very, very little business I was bringing with me. The expectation at the firm I was at wasn't that associates would have clients, that was something you worried about when you were a partner. Um, so, you know, I, it basically was, I, you know, I, I felt the pressure and I, I hustled like crazy. Um, so you, that's, that's part of the answer. Um, you need to start hustling like crazy. And, <laughs> and that means, you know, you do have to, you know, be really smart about your time and you need to start really thinking strategically. But the, the, the way I went about it, and maybe this would be helpful to someone in that position, would be, again, circling back to this idea of, of having a real narrow focus. Um, 
in my case, I left to start my firm. It was 2010 and it was, it was, um, uh, I'm sorry, it was 2009 and it was shortly before the, and I was in Detroit and shortly before the automotive uh, bankruptcies started cascading. So hmm. Chrysler and GM, uh, we're filing for bankruptcy um, right around the same time I started my firm. And I assumed my, my whole business plan, my assumption was, oh, there'll be plenty of work. I can just sort of sit back and the phone will start ringing. <laughs> and it didn't necessarily happen that way. Um, and I wasn't able to generate some of the work that I thought I was going to be able to generate, which was among the auto supply base, the tier one, tier two, tier three auto suppliers. The bigger firms in town snapped that work up and, and it wasn't trickling down to my small firm. Uh, so instead I look to a, I, I call this sort of the Warren Buffett strategy, where, whereas you look to um, underserved, underpriced markets. And in, and in that case, it was the auto dealer market. So, mm. you know, auto dealers, uh, they're typically seen as sort of unsophisticated businesses in the sense that, you know, they don't have, they don't have in-house legal departments. They oftentimes, you know, very entrepreneurial. They're not, these aren't, you know, people who went to business school and, and have lots of business experience. It's not to say they're not extremely savvy and effective and made tons of money. It's just that they didn't have those, you know, big internal departments within their auto dealerships. Um, and, but they were being impacted dramatically in those bankruptcy cases. So I focus all my energy there. I started spending time at the association meetings where all the dealers um, gathered. Uh, I, I started doing public speaking for those groups for free. I provided free resources in terms of you know, advice and, and articles about the issues they should be thinking about. And lo and behold, they started hiring me. And, mm -hmm. and once you know, once one hired me, it's a very close knit community. They told, they told their friend, then, you know, that person hired me. And next thing you knew, I, I had about 30 clients um, in that auto dealership world in Michigan. And, you know, that provided a significant amount of work and really set our firm off on a, on a path to success. And so the, the point being find, you know, the smallest viable community that could, potentially support your practice, um, you know, can pay the rates that you have to charge, um, has sufficient business that you can, uh, they, you know, that can support your, your practice and keep you busy, but it doesn't need to be a big market. Um, another, I'll just share another short, real short story, Shelly, mm -hmm. but one of my favorite examples when, who was a mid, who was a, um, uh, a mid-level associate at his law firm, Scott Becker, who's been a, a guest on my podcast and I cite him on, uh, in a couple of my books, um, great example. He he, and he was the former chair of the healthcare department at McGuire Woods in Chicago. And Scott was like a fifth or sixth year lawyer, and he wanted to build a practice. And so he he was a healthcare lawyer, but he knew you know hospitals and healthcare systems were not viable clients because he only had five years of, of experience. So he targeted um, surgical centers, which was a really relatively new thing at the time. Um, he was he was at that stage in his career in the metropolitan Chicago area, and no one else was really paying attention to that market. So he came in, he you know generated a lot of business, and the thing was, and and what Scott shares, and this was my own experience as well. Once you once you kind of become known as an expert in one sort of slice of a larger vertical then you have the opportunity to sort of level up to the next, you know, larger uh, slice of that market. So he, he jumped from representing surgical centers 
to hospitals, ultimately to health systems on a national basis and, and grew a huge book of business um, for himself. And, and that's kind of the progression that you want to go. Start small, you know, dominate, if you want to say, or, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, achieve some success in that small market, then, then trade up to the next one and, and so on. It's, it's, really, it's really the way that businesses, if you think about it, start too. They start small, they really, you know, they work out the kinks, um, they refine their product, and then they, you know, go on to bigger markets. But that, that would be my suggestion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, again, makes such good sense, but it's just sort of um, contrary to the way most lawyers think about the practice of law. We don't often think about the business side. Uh, we focus most on the, uh, the practice and servicing the clients that we have, not necessarily thinking about ways and entrepreneurial ways to go out and to um, maybe tap into new markets. So great examples. Yeah, super, super helpful. And very interesting um, as well. And you've talked a little bit about um, the need to find the time to consistently work on business development, uh, find, make the time. I wonder, any tips for lawyers who I'm sure the first thing they're going to say is, yeah, sounds great, but who has the time for that? Yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of, again, get circling back to the, uh, the, the, the reason for the book in the first place. Um, so as, as a starting point, uh, you know, it, for anyone that remembers the, the subtitle of the book, it talks about this idea of selling yourself one hour every day. And that, that is an idea that comes from Charlie Munger, uh, who people probably know as Warren Buffett's business partner in Berkshire Hathaway. And, and uh, Munger is also a lawyer. Uh, and I, I got this idea from him um, when he was a young lawyer, say in the, in the 19, uh, late 1940s, I believe. Um, he, he came upon a realization that if, if he was gonna ever get ahead, um, he couldn't do what he was what, what he was doing, which was devoting virtually all of his time to his paying clients. And he decided that what he was going to start doing, as he put it, was selling himself one hour of his day every day to work on things like professional and business development. He started treating himself as his own most important client. And I mm-hmm. thought that, that that really resonated with me, which is why I, I, I devoted a whole chapter to that whole concept in my book. Um, so really... I, at, at its most fundamental level, you need to make a decision that you're either going to do this or not do it. And if you're going to do it, then one hour each day represents about 10% of the time most lawyers spend you know, at their job. Say if you're working a 10-hour day, one hour is 10%. Um, if this is your most important priority, if this is the biggest predictor of your future success, I would hope that you, know, you can devote that one hour to it, um, that 10% of your time. Uh, but, you know, so that's, that's sort of a more of a, a, a mental mindset that maybe allows you to have the discipline and willpower to do this important thing. But there's some, also some practical tips as to how to essentially find or make some more time in your day. And, and one of them is simply the fact that I think there's some statistics out of the London School of Business, which sh- suggests that for most knowledge workers, 41% of their time is spent on what you know, are defined as low value tasks. So there's things that you're probably doing that you could either eliminate or delegate such that you could find some significant time in your day to work on things that are higher value tasks. So I would, I would say, take a close look um, what are the tasks on your plate that are repeatable, that are 
that are capable of being reduced to some sort of system or playbook and delegate those things. Get uh, delegation is not easy. Mm-hmm. It takes time to delegate. It may, it may be something that takes you one hour a week to accomplish some administrative task, but it would take you 10 hours to turn that over to you or your administrative assistant. Hence why maybe you haven't done it or, uh, but if you think about it, if you put that time in after a few months, you'll have all of that time earned back and you'll have a continual return on investment on that time forever. Um, so delegation is important. Elimination. Um, you need to be more discerning about oftentimes what you say yes to. So this idea of eliminating things from your schedule, don't, you know, it might mean you can't go to lunch as often with your colleagues. It might mean that there are, you know, some, some things you're doing throughout your day, you know, you're finding yourself getting trapped into checking the internet too frequently, or maybe there's some meeting that you that you've been going to because you know you're included on the calendar invite but you really don't need to be going to that meeting if it's internal or someone else can take on that responsibility there's little ways to find you know these pockets of time if you're more thoughtful and discerning and really do a clear assessment of how you're spending your time um and you know those are those are probably a few systematizing aspects of your practice this you're not just don't just think of delegation in terms of delegating administrative tasks, but um, legal legal related tasks as well, client service related tasks as well. Um, most attorneys, many attorneys think of what they do as like a bespoke process mm-hmm. um, that's unique every time when mm-hmm. it's really much of, much of legal work is more of a repeatable process that can be reduced to a system that can be handed off to someone else to handle at least many of the, the, the more routine aspects of matters and you can scale scale yourself up to dealing with um more high value tasks so these these you know really again taking a strategic assessment of how you're spending your time each day and finding those pockets but i would say as a starting point think about whether you can first thing in the morning because i think first thing in the morning is always the best way to avoid the distractions that start to pour in throughout the day mm-hmm. start selling yourself that one hour for marketing and business development as a way to start gaining momentum and traction towards building your practice mm-hmm. and how would you suggest people use that time well first of all i think the idea of starting with an hour a day, you know, five days a week in total, because we're looking at just uh, the business days, could seem just monumental. So how do we go about making the best use of that time? And should we start just all in? Yeah. So, I mean, you can start, I mean, just in terms of the quantity of time you're spending, I think the idea of spending, it's like the Think about it in terms of habit development. The idea with a habit is to do something consistently enough that it becomes habitual. Um, so if you make the habit, if you if you make that habit too ambitious, you know the 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 attainment of that habit too ambitious, that's where you might fall off and 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 stop the activity. Whereas if you make it very small, so in this case that would mean instead of spending an hour a day, spend 15 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems maybe more attainable for some people. Um, start there. You if if you continue to do that consistently. Um, you may then find that, oh, I can, you know, A, I'm, I'm achieving positive results. So I want to do more of the activity that's generating those, mm-hmm. those results. You'll start doing 30 minutes, then 45, then an hour. You've probably recognized that same sort of pattern with other habits you've developed. 
I guess, right. good or bad, um, but certainly good habits. Um, and then, yes, how do you make that time effective? And again, in the book, I, I devote a whole chapter that, to this because I think it's very important. I call it the 60-minute daily sprint. But you really need to take a step back and you think, okay, if I have some clear goals that I want to accomplish, that's what's going to allow me to develop a plan. I, re- I, I can reverse engineer those goals into an actionable plan. So if I know I want to you know, develop X amount of new business this quarter, and that's my goal, well, then I know I need to be taking action this month, this week, and, and frankly, this very day in order to be on track for achieving that goal. So that plan sort of develops from the goals you set. And then my suggestion, once you have those broad parameters of a plan in place, so that might mean I'm gonna write an article this week, I'm gonna set up three meetings with prospective clients, I'm going to do some research related to my target industry, whatever the activities are, spend 15, 20 minutes, say Sunday evening or first thing Monday morning and map out your week. You don't want to go into whatever time you're selling yourself each day for business development with sort of a blank slate without a clear understanding of what to do next. Mm -hmm. You want to have that all planned out because you want to get right into the activity. That time is precious and you want to use it effectively. This gets back to the issue of productivity. Mm -hmm. So spend the time to plan out what you're going to do and then you'll find that you're getting much more accomplished within that window of time that you are allocating for the activity. So I think that 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 weekly planning process where you're identifying, you know, what tasks you're going to be doing as it relates to business development is going to make your time much more effective. If you just come into it each day, again, with this blank slate and no clear understanding of what the, the most effective way to move forward is for you then you'll, you'll end up spinning your wheels a bit and you'll probably end up spending more time just bouncing around the internet, seeking mm-hmm. more knowledge as right. opposed to taking action. Yeah, it's so true. We can get completely lost in that, you know, search for new knowledge or to find that, that perfect resource, article, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and then just going right down that, uh, that rabbit hole and another one. Uh, so super, super helpful, Jay. Really great uh, suggestions. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, you have written already so many wonderful books are you thinking about new projects or what about you in managing all of your different priorities? Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, I, people ask me that I it feel, you know, you feel like um, you write a book about productivity and you, you should be sort of living up to what you're <laughs> writing in the book. And I, I don't, you know, I, I try to be authentic uh, and, and say that I, I certainly am not perfect when it comes to these things, but, but that being said, some of the basic principles in the book, I definitely am pretty, um, I, I, I'm pretty consistent with, and that's the kind of thing that allows me, you know, I've, I've written, for example, I've, I've, you know, writing books is an important part of my business and I've written um, for the last six years, I've written a new book every two years. And, and it takes a while to write a book. And, and I don't, you know, necessarily jump from one book into another. But that doing things like carving out time first thing every morning, like an hour of time to write, um, it, I don't get much done on any particular day. But it, when I look back after nine months, you know, I've got a book written. Mm-hmm. And so the, that consistency of effort is, is really what matters. So I'm, I'm definitely have some projects on the horizon. Um, I, I am one who tends to maybe try to do too much, um, but I'm, I'm <laughs> fighting that instinct and that urge. So I do have another book I want to write. Uh, the book is really all about 
um, how, to, how an individual can scale their legal practice. So this idea, we talked a little bit about developing systems and processes and effectively sort of building some scale into your practice where, where you, your practice can grow independent of your ability to just bill more hours, mm. um, where you're building teams and systems and, and um, processes around you is, is a book that I've, I've sort of been toying with and, and started outlining. Um, I'm also, and this has not been released yet, but um, and I appreciate you asking, but I, I am developing a, um, a, a program where I'm going to be coaching uh, lawyers and also forming uh, more of a, a mastermind component to that with training. So it's more of a, you know, we're going to have an application process where lawyers can apply and join this group and have this community aspect with other lawyers who are striving to do the same things that they are, um, you know, sort of banding together to share great ideas and, and those who are interested in coaching and having training developed and that community aspect is something that I'm going to be rolling out for um, the first of uh, the new year coming up. So that's really the biggest thing I've been working on um, currently, but uh, it's not quite there yet. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a place to send people to yet for that, but uh, <laughs> that's the big project probably on my plate right now. Yeah, excellent. What a wonderful idea. And to me, it sounds super unique. I haven't heard of anything like that. So um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interest. So yeah, congratulations. Great idea. Great idea. Uh, yeah. So how would uh, our listeners learn more about you and all of the wonderful things that you've done and are doing uh, and are going to be doing? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. That's probably from a social media perspective, uh, the place that, uh, you know, I, I'm most active and, and share most and engage most. So certainly welcome anyone to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, my, my marketing agency is called Harrington Communications and our, our website is hcommunications.biz.biz. Um, you can check out my book, The Productivity Pivot. Uh, that you can check out. Uh, we have a, a page on that on our website. You can find that at productivitypivot.com. Um, I have a podcast called The Thought Leadership Project uh, that co-hosts that with my my partner uh, Tom Nixon. And yeah, I mean, uh, I also write monthly columns for uh, law.com, attorney at work. I write quite a bit at JD Supra, um, and I have a blog on my own website. So you know invite anyone to check out uh, any or all of those resources. We also have some free resources available on our website and that you'd be, uh, you're welcome to, to download as well. So thanks for asking, Shelley. Terrific. Yeah. And also um, you have some worksheets that um, companion yes. worksheets for the productivity pivot as well on your website. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we have a free download that is basically, I, I wanted, I wanted this book to be very practical and actionable. So, um, you know, I have some, what we call coaching notes at the end of each chapter. Um, and some of those coaching notes involve, you know, some doing some strategic planning um, as it relates to your vision and goals and prioritization, those kinds of things. Uh, and those, I, so we created some worksheets that uh, kind of guide you through that process. So those are available at productivitypivot.com uh, for you to download for free. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and your expertise in uh, this area. Super helpful. And as you mentioned, the context being specifically for lawyers, I can see how um, those lawyers who would have been reticent to spend so much time uh, on business 
development and prioritizing that, I can see how you can make a pretty compelling argument. So, uh, so thank you so much for that. Oh, of course, Shelley, and, and thank you so much for having me on and, and giving me a platform to, to share some ideas. And, 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 you know, I really enjoyed your podcast and I wish you a tremendous amount of success as well. Well, thank you so much. And you have been instrumental in getting that off the ground. So thanks to you. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. And we look forward to following you and learning all about these new and exciting things on the horizon. Thanks, Shelley. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.